Hello, and welcome to Rock and Roll Film Club, a podcast about music biopics. I'm Kathleen Mahoney. I'm Ryan Major. And today we're talking about the Buddy Holly story. about the final three years of the life of Buddy Holly. It stars Gary Busey as Buddy Holly in an Academy Award nominated performance. And I'm not really? even gonna mention anyone else in this movie because I didn't know who any of them were. Okay. What about Charles Martin Smith? Yeah, can I talk oh, yet? Or Charles no? Martin you can, Smith. You can talk, you can talk. Well, uh, I haven't been oh. introduced, so I don't know. I just don't know how this works. I forget. We'll introduce you in a second. You can okay, okay. But well, I just wanted to, yeah jump in on what Ryan was saying. What about Charles Martin Smith? I, I guess I didn't know who he was. Okay, he's in The Untouchables, directed by Brian De Palma, which we were just talking about before we were recording. And possibly his, in- re- his real legacy is he directed Air Bud. Wow. The dog basketball movie, Air yeah, Bud. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. Franchise uh, forming. Yeah. Also, he was also in American Graffiti and one of my favorite movies, Herbie Goes Bananas. (laughs) Kathleen, we need to introduce a meme. I'm so sorry. And today on the podcast, we have return guest, Amin Zarukian. Hello, Amin. Welcome back, Amin. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. It's really wonderful to have you back. I guess it went okay the first time, huh? Yeah, Amin is a musician who's in Beat Bapalula, Don't Stop or We'll Die, and famously, he was the very first guest on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So most people know him. (laughs) Wait, so who did this Charles Martin Smith play in this movie? He he was uh, Ray Bob, the fictional bass player. Okay, okay. Apologies. Well, a lot to for, unpack here. Yeah. A lot to unpack this one. <laughs> yeah, I am excited to talk about this one. I feel like now that we've done like 11 episodes or so of this podcast, like this might be the first rock biopic. Am I wrong? What do you mean? What about La Bamba? I mean, that was in 1987. This is 1978. Wait, what'd you say? The first what? Oh, the first. The first. Oh, right. Uh, there may there I know there was uh, there was a movie about Ricky Nelson at some point. There were there were music biopics for sure, but but something that tries to encapsulate both like this individual musician story and also like all of rock and roll, you know, just oh, and fail so miserably on both counts. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you know, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But yeah, so just real quick, I mean, everybody knows who Buddy Holly is, but. Um, by way of his biography, Buddy Holly was born Charles Hardin Holly in 1936 in Lubbock, Texas. His hits include Peggy Sue and That'll Be the Day. And he sort of set the precedent for the self-contained rock and roll band who wrote their own material. And he of course died in a plane crash at the age of 22 in 1959 alongside Richie Valens and the Big Bopper, the day the music the died. This all sounds vaguely familiar, yeah. Uh, so Amin was on our episode, or again, very first episode of this podcast about La Bamba. So we thought it would be appropriate to bring him back for a biopic about another musician. Yeah, yeah. Th- these were two play. movies that started differently, but ended the same. 
Yes, unfortunately. Very, yeah, very much unfortunately. So you guys have both seen this movie before, right? I saw one time some years ago. Um, I remembered a lot, but I forgot a lot. But I have to say, for me, I don't know what you what you guys thought, but this is the Gary Busey story in terms of star power. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he is the most captivating part of this movie. It's certainly not. It's not really a plot-driven movie. It's it's not even really a character-driven. Not movie. really a character-driven movie. Yeah, it is just the Gary Busey show, and they all played their own instruments, and he sang and everything. That explains why the drums were so bad. Yeah, they played their own instruments. That's totally. Cool. Yeah, I think they all did, right? <clears throat> I, I don't know so. about Charles Martin Smith. No, I think he was. I was. I was. I had heard this, and then I was paying attention. He looked so. like he was playing it. He was. I think like. What, they somehow recorded it on set. I, it, I mean, it, you know, you can tell when the drummer's like doing it. Yeah. And he's kind of, he kind of sucks actually, this guy. He does kind of <laughs> suck, yeah. And, and, uh, and you can tell they're doing it. Except Gary Busey, it seems like there might have been someone else. He is playing like the right chords, but you can hear other parts. So I don't yeah. know if they like overdub his parts or someone else off stage. So, so actually, this, this seems like as good an entry point to any as to how much bullshit was in this movie. The fact that there were, for, you know, the Crickets were essentially a four-piece band for the majority of their run. But as we've learned from previous rock movies, you can't have four musician characters. That's just more than the audience can handle. So it would make sense, like, it would make sense for there to be an extra guitar maybe playing the solos when Gary <laughs> yeah. Busey's I mean, doing at, at one point they were a three-piece, but then became a four-piece. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the deal was with that exactly. Um, yeah, so I was looking into that a little bit um, because, yeah, so the movie, like the only real consistent plot thread is that Buddy Holly has this band with the, these two guys, the Crickets, and they end up kind of like parting ways because these guys are a little bit more wild than him also they don't really care about having a music career as much as him and at the end of the movie they're like we want to go surprise buddy and you know that's like the night he dies but um they don't have the same names as the real crickets that they were based on so i was looking into that and also I, they seem to be thinly sketched uh very and yes very thin like they, they, they seem to serve the plot more than uh right they're like foils, not... They, they, they don't have the, their own individual uh, motivations other than maybe wanting to go home for the holidays. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess there was like another Buddy Holly movie that was um, in production like a few years before this one. And the those two guys, and I don't even have their names written down, but the real crickets had like signed away their life rights to this movie that never came out. But Gary Busey was also cast in that movie as the drummer. So he learned a bunch of Buddy Holly songs for this movie, Fade Away, that never ended up like- Was it called think, Not Fade Away or Fade Away? Not Fade Away, it's called Not Fade Away. Okay. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but production was never completed. But that's like kind of how Gary Busey got the part because he like learned all these songs, but also why like the crickets in this movie have like totally different names. Um, do they, they also seem like maybe they're all too old, too. Yeah. Everybody yeah. in this movie. <laughs> yes. For sure. At least, yeah, def definitely the drummer, for sure. Definitely <laughs> yeah. the drummer. Yeah. 
and also to a lesser extent the fictional bassist and also buddy <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, definitely gary and everyone yeah oh. gary was like 33 playing a 19 to 22 year old but then again this has i feel like i have kind of a vague understanding of the buddy holly story the you know the actual story as opposed to the movie Mm-hmm. And in a lot of places, it doesn't line up. I watched this movie, and I just felt like a lot of it seemed like bullshit. So I'm looking forward to checking checking in with you guys. See what yeah. we, are we, we Are we ready just, for that? Yeah, should we just get into the plot? <laughs> should we just do it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, that, this is going to be a big point, I think, of how it's yeah. not... Well, we can't com- we can't compare biographical details if we don't talk about what's in the movie. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, yeah. I got it. I got it. you guys are the pros. Okay, <laughs> okay. this is only my second one. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into it. So the movie begins, I guess, Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock, Texas. Probably what, like 1957. Also, like unlike a lot of other biopics, um, this movie doesn't give us like years and you know like those like title cards that tell you exactly when it is but we'll say when lacked in biographical details it made up with in contrived interpersonal drama yes so um starts in lubbock texas like before buddy holly's famous and he's playing a gig with his band at a roller rink that's being broadcasted on the radio very cool but (laughs) Oh, but here's the thing, though. The reception in the roller rink is different than the reception the listeners, the radio, are saying. Teenagers and kids like Buddy's exciting new mix of country and western with R&B. But people listening on the radio, they're not happy. They're not into it. And also, well, like, while he's playing at the roller rink, he's, like, starting with, you know, some really traditional country numbers and then decides to play one for the boppers. And boppers. The, kids, the kids start freaking out. Although I got to say, so, like, this scene, it's, like, the kids at the roller rink are just, like, spontaneously starting to dance. But it is, like, the, one of the worst performances by extras I've ever seen. Oh, my <laughs> God. I know. I know. Just, like, rhythmically clapping and, like, swaying like zombies. There, there, there was one, one particular male extra who was like a little bit overcommitted to, <laughs> it was hard to look away from, but it was just like, it, it's, and this is actually the thing that comes up throughout the movie is Buddy Holly's music sounds so like safe and wholesome that it's very difficult to think of a time where it was dangerous yeah. and you know like uh n-word music right like it well if anything i think i guess one thing this movie did do well was sort of like contrast what we know of as his music like this like early rock and roll with you know kind of traditional country music and what was actually what that he was, was coming out of the one concession to people interested in music they made for this movie yeah <laughs> yeah um but uh yeah, so we, we get this like gig where again, they're like just starting out, they're on the radio, the radio producer is like angry that they, not angry, but it's just like, you can't be playing this bot music. Um, There's a character named Riley, who I'm pretty sure was a fictional character. Yeah, but I guess there was like a real program director of that radio station, KDAV. And I would hope so. He, and he like actually booked, you know, like Elvis and Bill Haley and, um, 
like booked the crickets for some of these shows. So the whole like, you know, I can't be playing rock music was also a little, you know. Okay. So <laughs> we're, we're five, 10 minutes into the movie and it already kind of stinks of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. What do you think I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have thoughts on this in general and specific thoughts. But you know, do we just do it? I mean, <clears throat> sure. We have to. We we have no order. Give us to... something. Right. Well, I mean, like you're saying. Okay. Yeah. The first shots that we're seeing. Incorrect uh, instruments. Oh yeah. I was thinking. Oh, it. Yeah. I was waiting for you to say it. I was thinking. Period. <laughs> period. Incorrect instruments. Seventies um, Fender guitars. Seventies Fenders guitar. Fender guitars. If we're just getting into it. Okay, felt, I, I read all of this on the IMDb page and I was yeah. like, I'm not even going to commit this to my memory because I know that these guys will just... <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've, I've got extensive, extensive notes here on this because I love IMDb uh, goofs and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> and people get real crazy about it. And they did with this, they did it with this. One of the first shots you see a Fender Bronco guitar which did not come out until 1967. For Christ's sake, ten years after oh my God. what we're talking Buddy about. Buddy Holly here. was eight years in the ground. <sighs> Not to mention the amps he's using, the Tolex on there, the questionable acoustic guitar bridge, which the bridge on that guitar didn't come out until, you know, years later. Not There's... to mention the straws that the Oh my god, this is <laughs> Yes, I, this is uh, one of my favorite goofs. Yeah. Because we're in the scene still. We're talking about the yeah. scene. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So you're you're telling me that there were kids sipping through straws? Hold yes, on. Somebody wrote in IMDb. I've got, I've got the quote. I've got the, the quote from IMDb. <clears throat> you ready? Are we allowed yeah. to quote IMDb here? On here? Yeah, let's go. In the roller rink scene, Cindy Lou is drinking from a quarter inch or more diameter straw. In the 1950s, straws were much narrower and came in twos. <laughs> okay. So, what kind of movie is this? <laughs> my problem with the movie is, is that, that most of the main characters are fictional and that they play really fast and loose with the details of Buddy Holly's life. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I noticed... The instruments were not period correct, but uh, it is worth getting into what the crazy people on the internet have. have I, 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 do. I will say the the straws that went right by me. <laughs> no, really, because that's what really made me hate this movie all of a sudden. Yeah. But but then but then I loved it after you know it kind of redeemed itself. Yeah. But I will I I want to um, preface all this by uh, there's a quote from the. Um, Filmmakers who were interviewed in Rolling Stone way back when. Wow. Well, I they, read that. They, I read that today. Ooh, yes, it's a lot of criticism, right, for a lot of the stuff and for. We still haven't gone through the plot, but, <laughs> you know, for for being incorrect, quote unquote, right. And I like this quote because they said, uh, this guy Rash, I think establishing the attitude is more important than all the facts put together. And that's about. I agree with that. The movie, but, making a movie, and I agree when it's yeah. about you're making a movie. Like 
I could get so upset about the details being wrong and stuff, but it's, the fact is, it's not a documentary. I understand and, that, but I mean, Kathleen, did you not characterize this as Buddy Holly fan fiction? <laughs> <laughs> we were texting it earlier this afternoon. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it shouldn't. So okay, for for that. For that reason, I'll I'll forgive them on the on the the Fender Broncos and the the, yeah. the Telecaster logo. Yeah, yeah we didn't talk about the Telecaster, one. the white Telecaster with the black pickguard, which did not come out. Yeah, and believe me, I want to hear about this as we go through. I want to okay, I want to okay, look okay, at okay, both okay. the technical inaccuracies of like what instruments didn't exist in 1959, but also the things that didn't happen in his life. In his life, I think we should totally cover both of them as we. Okay. The next two There's hours. so much to say, <laughs> but I, but I, I wanted to preface all that with that quote. No, I think that's that's um helpful. And also, I was just reading. I was uh, just like an hour before we started recording. I started looking at um, Gary Busey's autobiography called Buseyisms. It came out in 2018, but I was well, reading the it. the Buddy Holly chapter, and there was Buddy this Holly. like disturbing little note in there that he. After like the production of the movie was finished, he went and like met up with um, Buddy Holly's parents who were still alive. And he was like, oh, they were like the nicest people. And in talking to them, he realized that like Buddy Holly's parents were like super supportive of his, of his career. And his mom actually like helped write one of um, his songs, Maybe Baby. Yeah. And in the movie, they're just 1950s like parents. Yeah, who are like, buddy, what are you going to do with your life? Like, what's your future look like? Um, so again, the parents, I guess, were actually really supportive. And um, and then Buddy was saying, like, oh, I felt kind of bad. Or sorry, Gary was saying when they came to the movie premiere, like, I felt kind of bad when they were going to come see this movie where we, like, sort of disparaged them. But the writer of the, the screenwriter of oh. this movie, I guess, was, like, severely depressed to the point that, like, no one could make any corrections to the script because they were scared he would kill himself. So, um, so as as so as a result, we have this wild fiction that starts unchecked, a, unchecked fiction. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it'd be like, oh well, you know what? We could try to make his family supportive, but uh, he's had a really rough couple months. We should just let. This <laughs> yeah, we should probably just put put out this movie about this actual person. Buddy's already gone. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, thank you for sharing that quote, I mean, I think that will help color the rest of our conversation yeah, about yeah. this film. Um, right. So, so move, moving the plot along here. So we, we see the, the, the two responses to the Buddy Holly show at the roller rink. Uh, I'm not so happy on the radio, but the yeah, teens the like it. Not happy. So yeah. this is where, where we get our requisite period uh you know pre-success where the practice in the garage uh people are hassling them buddy's girlfriend doesn't want to have sex or something because any kind of fi like fictional scene that takes place in the 1950s is all about teenagers trying to have sex yeah you can't have a story set in the 1950s that teenagers trying to have sex for some reason yeah and shoehorned into this one totally and also, like one of the many plot points, I was thinking this movie is just like a series of little mini conflicts that like it's, it's, don't it's really episodic. It's extremely they don't episodic. Really add up or yeah. like we never revisit them as they as they go by. But yeah, so this like first girlfriend is like a very minor part of the story. But did she not remind you of Faye from that thing you do? 
I think she I think think she was the archetype for fans. Yeah, the blonde girlfriend who's just like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't get it. I don't care. <laughs> I do like when he puts her on the bus to college and uh breaks up with her in like some like weird uh weird way. And uh she asks what <laughs> what she should tell the kids at school. And he says, Tell them bula bula. <laughs> Which was probably my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> it was in uh, Tell Them My Name Is Chihuahua. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get that to was that. up there, too, but, actually. Um, yeah. Well, but, yeah. Ryan. but I, uh, the thing is, though, so as we move through the first acts and all subsequent acts of this movie, we see that they the conflicts are set up. Micro. But They're then micro conflicts. You relatively <laughs> quickly resolve. The micro conflicts. Um, so, for example, Riley, the I assume fictional radio character, gets them an audition in Nashville. So, uh, we see Buddy and his two totally made up friends drive out there and they record Laura, a yeah. like, very cool country version of That'll Be the Day. And what I'm pretty sure is the same set as the studio in New York, but <laughs> now we're splitting hairs. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, buddy, you got this big audition. Don't blow it. So then they go and it sounds like country music and he punches out the producer. And I have yeah. to say, it doesn't sound correct either. One of the first of three punches in this movie. Just gonna none, of, none of the punches seem real. I don't think Buddy Holly punched out a top Nashville producer for trying to make his songs country, but no. I don't know. The 1950s was a long time ago. It's hard to say. But yeah, here yet again, we see the conflict between like traditional country music where there's like not a lot to, they don't want drums to be on the music, the production team. And... I do understand they're very loud. <laughs> and they want uh buddy wants to play the songs faster so yeah he wrote it that way he wrote it that way right? that said though that country version of that'll be the day it's pretty good it was i it was fine it's not as good as the definitive version <laughs> yeah but... no and there is a couple of versions of that song of that of theirs Really? I came, yeah, I came across just like another recording of it. Oh, well, I'll uh, just find that. There's it's like, it's like six, seven same, songs that Buddy Holly and or the Crickets recorded featured in this movie. That's like relatively few. Yeah. Yeah, they, they had a bunch. There were some, you know, covers and things too. Um, another thing that comes up at this juncture is um, kind of like the race thread that we get throughout the rest of the, yes. the movie where it's, you know, the the producers are very clear that they they don't want to make you know negro records um, well, that's not the word they used in the movie kathleen jungle well, the, music the, yeah, um, they also said jungle music yeah. um <laughs> but yeah yes they but then they used the bad word they yeah there was some uh really bad language but yeah just to kind of underscore like how controversial rock and roll was you know at this time so which is um, again i think kind of funny just in comparison to how clean and wholesome buddy holly's music sounds decades right later no totally totally um but yeah so and actually right before this i mean so that was pretty much the end of the nashville chapter which i guess in real life like Buddy and the band were like in Nashville for like months, <laughs> you know, it's in this like- And I feel band. like they recorded in like 
Arizona or something after that. Oh yeah, I think they were in uh, yeah New Mexico maybe. Yeah. Okay, but but clearly that that's not fit for the movie. We need to have Buddy. Well, punch that out that whole that top his whole, Nashville producer. Yeah, yeah, his whole producer Norman Petty was like cut out of the movie. Yes, that's another thing that is like a huge fictionalized piece of this movie is that like Buddy is like this determined like. He wants to like produce his own music. Is like I don't need a producer. Like I want to do it myself. I, I hear it in my head. And then like yeah, he actually had like a super collaborative relationship with his real producer, which is a weird thing okay, to okay. like so, cut out. So let's say you're but making a, a music biopic. <laughs> you you cut out. You may, let's say you cut out the co-writer producer character because you have too many other conflicts or drama or whatever. But it's like why? But then you don't replace it with with Buddy demanding to be his own producer and punching out every producer who tries to fucking put an overdub on Yeah, but they're, again, well, another quote I didn't read is they tried to make a commercial film that made Buddy an American hero. (laughs) What? That sounds pretty cool. Um, Okay, so so that has to do with that, I think, where they're really making him a huge hero. Yeah, he's like this self-determined, you know, American individualism. Yeah, okay, okay. And I I get that they're, like, trying to put it in a larger context of, like, early rock and roll, but, like, some of it is a little bit over the top. Like, oh, two scenes that we kind of miss, or we um, skipped over were his conversation with his parents, which we alluded to, where basically they're like, we don't want you to do rock and roll. And then um, the church scene where he's at church with his, uh, his family. Oh, yeah, And it's this, yeah. like, fire and brimstone. Just, I love like, that guy. You know, we <laughs> heard what happened character. at the roller rink. Like, jungle rhythm is a threat to our morals. And apparently none of that, again, like, happened they, at all. They took the idea and put it but in the, the great idea. balls of fire yes. and actually followed through with it. Yeah. Totally. They've introduced an element of uh, of conflict to the religion. Here it's just like, oh, Buddy's just a super pro- super determined producer, I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Oh, and then then so we all we also we got a a scene. This is something we see a lot in these movies: the the songwriting scene where they're on the way to Nashville, and uh, they come up with Peggy Sue by uh, the drummer character, I want to say Jesse, playing drums on the seat of the car. I don't know. One of them is Jesse and I- It's Ray Bob and Jesse, but it doesn't matter because they are not real. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, and he's singing Cindy Lou instead of- uh, Because that's the name of his girlfriend in the movie. Yes, but what was that? Real or not, I've read two things on the internet if that actually... What I, I heard was that, that he, one of his friends was like, can you change the name to Peggy Sue? Because somebody else was dating a girl named Peggy Sue and be like, the, that I would be sick. I think yeah. his real bandmate, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. not the fictional characters. No, no, um, no, 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 no. A real read, person. I read like a great quote though, I forget if this where I read this, like a real Buddy Holly quote where and I just related to this so much and probably you guys would too as songwriters um, where they were like, what, like who's Peggy Sue about? And he's like, I don't know. It's just like writing nursery rhymes. Like it's not, <laughs> like this isn't, totally, yeah. there, this isn't loaded with meaning or like my own autobiographical experience. Um, yep, been there. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Um, so yeah, so the, the Nashville chapter just ends and like, then we move yeah. on. <laughs> so so that, that doesn't work out in the movie. So they just go back and 
they're like, well, too bad. Let's just record some demos in Buddy's parents' garage. And that from there, we have the hits. The, the, there's no eureka moment. Uh, they just have a really long ass conversation about why this should be called the crickets. So well, long. So well, because they hear a cricket in the wall. Yeah. yeah. And Buddy is, you know, don't kill it. Um, I don't know. I really don't um, know. I wouldn't th kill it either. That I think. scene, I mean, it just took a long time for them to. Um, they, they do their best to keep us out of clubs, buses, the road. Anywhere that isn't as cheap set on a soundstage, they really try to minimize those kinds of scenes. Yeah. At the end of the movie, when they're like, oh, I've been on tour for so long, it's like, when? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like one road gig. Right. And this sounds made up, too. This, this part seems like bullshit. Also. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about that. It I, I feels made up. But Wait, I, which I part? Oh, okay. So, so uh, oh, right. Buddy's made up friend at the made up radio station sends a made up record exec, uh, their made up demo. Oh, yeah. And, and I loved how that, that scene, already, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I loved how that scene, too. Like that radio guy, Riley, is like always bearing the lead, just like, hey, listen, we can't ever play you on our radio station ever again. But I did send your demo to a lot of people and they like want to make your record. <laughs> it's like, yeah. why didn't you say that first? Damn yeah. that, Riley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, their their songs become they're like being played on radio stations all around the country. This radio station in Buffalo is playing their demo. Uh, where where we have a, another another oh my god, Mad, Mad Man Mancuso, yeah. Mad Man Manusco or Mancuso. 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 Yes, he is awesome. Is he, I hope he's real. I hope I can't. He's I, real. Guarantee you, he is not real. And I love. I, I mean, promise you, he's why, not real. I watched not? that movie. I'm leaving. I watched this movie and I, I said, Madman Mancuso is not a real DJ. But like, why have a scene where instead of just being like, oh, they're getting radio play across the country, we have a scene where this radio station in Buffalo with this DJ Madman Mancuso is like, I've locked myself in the station and I'm playing your song over and over and over again. What's um, more dramatic, a, a handler or manager calling you to tell, be like, hey, go go drive downtown and pick up the latest copy of Billboard, which is a trade magazine. Yeah. Uh, I will or, say there are no montages in this movie. There are no just like, oh, more radio stations are playing them all around the country. It's rarely just, will I say this, but this movie probably could have fucking benefited <laughs> from a montage or two. Uh, as far as we know, the crickets are incredibly popular at one roller rink this one buff station in Buffalo where the police are trying to arrest the DJ and <laughs> the city of New York, baby. Yeah. yeah. So they're invited to go to New York City to meet with these execs at um, Cor Coral Records because is that, of... Is that made up? I think it's made up, right? That sounds no, made up. No, it's is not. Part, I think Coral? it's partly made up. Okay. The, the guy's name actually... sounds really fake. The head of well, the label... Oh, the name might be, but I think Coral was a subsidiary of, he was like on two labels at the same time or something, like the Crickets and then Buddy Solo. And they were oh, really? both subsidiaries of DECA. DECA. But yeah. rather than yeah. get into the complexities of their legal arrangement, they thought they could just make up some shit. Yes. Okay. But and then, oh, then also later we get a scene where it's like, 
I don't know, buddy. Is it going to be okay for you to put out records that say Buddy Holly instead of the crickets? Like, he was literally doing that the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Bullshit. So, so we, we got a scene where a very amusing scene where a very amusing in like a 60s, 70s sitcom kind of went. It actually, we really got into the kind of like total sitcom zone for a while in this there, movie. There is some there is some scenes like slapsticky scenes like this in the movie yeah. that I I thought were great. Like I, I did love I did love the Madman Mancuso scene just over the top. <laughs> yes. There's no, a couple so others we, later which we'll get to, but yeah, there is there is actually like this funny vibe once in a while. That's so they, they they show up to the record label where they already have a hit again. Pretty sure this is not true. Uh, and at the record label, they're shocked to discover that the crickets are in fact white, which again I just don't see happening. <laughs> That I think was actually true. Like the Apollo thing, I think was true, which we'll get to. And then they did; they really were did go on tour with like black bands. But um, not Sam Cooke, though. But not Sam Cooke. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They're, they're like, hey, you know who would be a good minor supporting character for this movie? The legend Sam Cooke. I wonder if it's like, <laughs> did they just have like the rights to his music were really accessible. It's just like, in why credits, write him in? He was listed as Sam. But oh. somebody says Sam Cooke later. And also, Sam was the name of another minor character later in the movie who was pretty sure was made up too. I'm like, what kind of fucking movie has two dudes named Sam? <laughs> You're making up the names of these characters. Give them, make one Jim. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so they go to Celebrated this... soul singer, Jim Cook. Well, they do have a Sam Cook song in it, though. There's, like, an actual... He sings You Send Me or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's it's clearly supposed to be Sam Cook, but it, it's weird. And it's also Paul Mooney from Chappelle's show. Really? Yeah. Plays him? Yeah. Oh, another yeah. one that and I was And it's not like... stunt casting, it's just, like, he was just some guy. Yeah, I mean, like, 30 years before Chappelle's yeah. show. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so New York, they get kind of assigned to this label, even though the uh, record exec expects them to uh, not be white. And also the secretary at the label. The beautiful secretary. The beautiful yeah. secretary. She is very beautiful. Is um, Buddy Holly's future wife. Maria. Maria. And Maria. Um, so like Buddy is, you know, just fixated on her right away. Um, so that's where they meet. And then from there, they get this gig at the Apollo, another instance. This seemed like, this seemed like bullshit to me though. It's like, they show up in some like, like cigar chomping, uh, okay, showbiz okay. type. Yeah. It, it, it was like, what, you're playing at the Apollo? <laughs> this apparently, uh, I think it happened though. I think this is real, yeah. And I guess, so and this it, is I, I, it does not seem right. I. Something seems amiss. Well, I don't think I don't think Buddy Holly showed up at the Apollo one day, opening for a ton of stars, and the audience was like, "No, this well, guy's apparently... white." And then they played a set of Buddy Holly music, and everyone Nearly stood up did. and clapped, and his star was was cast. No, they well, did. They did cover Bo Diddley. Well, what I read was that oh, they it, in the movie it happened all at once. But they played there three nights in a row. And on the third night, they decided to play Bo Diddley. And that is what made people uh, like them. Which is and so interesting, because if you listen to, I was like watching some 
like the very few Buddy Holly performances that you can watch on YouTube. And like, it sounds so much like Bo Diddley. It's insane. Just like the way he plays guitar. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's like influence. such a strong I mean, influence. You listen to a song like, not fade away. He didn't do it like super Bud Ludley style the way that the Stones did, but it's you know that was board. very big part of it. Um, wait, wait, wait. In, in the movie though, it did it like some of the some of the race relation stuff. I do feel like rang a little hollow. It was like, oh, these uh, these two fictional ignorant hayseed characters who are here as buddies uh, as like. Buddy's foils. I just feel like in real life, those guys probably would have had some shitty opinions. I don't know. That's that's rude, but I'm just thinking that's of rude, Ryan. That is rude. They are handle Texas in the mid fifties. They are dead and they can't defend themselves, but you're yeah. probably right. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I Oh, sorry, go ahead. I mean Well, I just I I wanna make sure I mention how much I love the scene with the uh, promoter guy at the Apollo. Yeah. I forget his name. Well, he um, was definitely made up. Made up. He, 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 was, <laughs> he, he, he was like Saul Juinberg or something. Yeah, exactly. Movie. But, <laughs> God. but but he's got he's got this whole scene. He's on the phone. It's just a slapstick moment that sets him up. And uh, I loved it. It made me laugh out loud. <laughs> He has the whole thing with the phone. I mean, just you gotta watch it. You gotta watch also, it. Also, so the, well, the, you this gotta was watch it. Clearly, like the one like concert scene that they paid for because they let that shit go for like four, five songs of the yeah. band playing in the middle of a movie. And I have to say, it sounds kind of sick. Like I actually like the versions of the songs in this movie because a lot of times you hear Buddy Holly recordings. There's these like super cheesy 50s backing vocals like trying to ruin every song whoa dog <laughs> whoa you know what i'm talking about bop 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 you know what i'm talking about it's kind of it's kind of cool to hear them a little bit like rawer and a little bit faster yeah that is a really uh -huh. cool part about this movie that it like you were saying yeah full songs like we get to see full songs being played. You hear something like, oh boy, you're like, damn, that's like such a punk song, man. Yeah, for sure. That, that, that was a cool scene. It's just funny that it's Gary Busey. It is funny that it's Gary Busey. Um, I will say um, he looks deranged the whole time, but it is a very <laughs> committed performance. There's a, couple sh there's a couple scenes, obviously indoors and cheap, well-lit sets uh, <laughs> where you can see his blonde hair underneath, like, like his blonde roots coming out. Oh my God. I, I, um, I also thought that it was kind of an interesting move that uh, a little bit later, and we'll come up on this, but uh, when they play Sullivan and he very softly gets his teeth knocked out. Oh my uh, God. Which again, felt like it was made up. Uh, it was kind of. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, they, so yeah, they followed I'm just saying, if you're gonna make a make made up scene about Buddy Holly's teeth getting knocked, I, if you have Gary Busey playing Buddy Holly, you shouldn't be calling attention to his teeth, man. <laughs> like, I didn't, I wasn't looking most of the yeah. time. Yeah, uh, I will say, well, he has very prominent. We can talk chompers. about that really quick, um, because now we're talking about it. But um, yeah, so before playing the Ed Sullivan show, Buddy 
is kind of in a fight with his bandmates and like walks into one of their heads. Like, I don't know really how that happened, but um, his, <laughs> his, his teeth, teeth just fall out promptly. <laughs> like well, in a, a dream, it's, it's like a in a bad dream. <laughs> It's, it's like the crown or cap or whatever is what he says. Oh, they, okay, gotcha. But um, so then he plays this show with like gum in his, <laughs> but it looks better than his real teeth, I think. When he oh, that his real teeth are clearly body because, <laughs> but yeah, it just feels weird. I, I to hope be Gary's like, not listening to this. She is. Yeah, I, I, I heard, heard, I heard some. I heard some firsthand BC stories that I'm not going to repeat on this podcast <laughs> because I don't think I can't corroborate them. From Gary, if, if you're listening, Gary, we love you, man. I'm not. I yeah, can't do. talk about my Gary Busey connections. You have never once mentioned this firsthand. No, we texted That's some. True. We texted some. My number one thing that I like to bring up about Gary Busey, which I wasn't going to bring up on this podcast, is that sometime after the Buddy Holly story, he had a traumatic brain injury, and likely affected his later. Have you seen Point Break? I have not seen Point Break. Okay. Now we're just, now this is too much of a downer. Okay. Well, don't worry. Let's get back to Buddy Holly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now okay. that but then now that Buddy Holly has stumbled his way ass backwards into a hit record, signed up with the label uh, after they agreed to make him producer for all of his material, and they won over the black population of the United States. Uh, then the only next possible step would be a sitcom-esque plot to trick Maria, the secretary's aunt, into accepting yes. him as a potential suitor. <laughs> yes, yes. We spend we spend a good six seven minutes. Yep, and then again, like all the mini conflicts, it's just resolved. <laughs> we, we, it, it's, it's a guest yeah. appearance by whoever plays the aunt. This is the only scene she is in, but. We we need we need Buddy to go in and, and uh, pretend to be somebody else. Like it's not quite Gordon trickery. Boy. It's just like it just huh. wasn't that hard. After she's like, no, I could never. My family would never let me marry you. And then he just goes over there and is like really nice. And the aunt's like, I love you. Yes, of course. Well, yeah. Sixty well, percent well, of the way through the movie, we be, we pick up the central conflict from West Side Story. Also, yeah. she's like, but I am Puerto Rican. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was cute. I thought it was, cute, you know, <laughs> well, because he goes there and he pretends to be like some guy from the label. He doesn't say who he is. Yeah, right? Oh, I guess but, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. Oh, he, like, yeah, yeah. He, he says, says his, name, his name is Charles Harden Holly. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, he says like his other name or whatever. His and, real name. And yes. And then <laughs> they have this whole conversation and like, you know, she warms up to him or whatever or is warm to him immediately. And she's like, you know what, I, you know, I, I wish there were more guys like you or whatever. But then at the end, when he's leaving, she he's like getting like, in the elevator. Yeah, she's like, oh yeah, I saw you on American Bandstand or whatever. And he makes a face like, Duh. that yeah. makes so much more sense now. And like, the elevator door is shut on his face, but now, boom, we're in biz. All right, check that yeah. one off. Yeah. That was a conflict we just introduced and immediately addressed. Got that life event. Yeah, check oh, out the list. Okay, cool. So now that Maria's aunt is cool with her going out with Buddy, yeah. boom, all right, they're in biz. Have now they, they go out. Have they the moved in together yet or no? No, no, first we have them go in the most 
stereotypically 1950s day to manage. It's a 3D movie, out. which, oh. according to IMDb trivia, also another goof. Bullshit. Another <laughs> they didn't have 3D movies in the 50s. No, they did. It was earlier. It was earlier. There were not really. They had fallen out of fashion by 1959. Yeah. Thank you. That is, that would not have occurred to me. Yeah. But from there, we, we see that Maria and Buddy have a deep connection. Her as a thinly drawn character uh, to introduce a conflict, and Buddy as a uh, as a I don't know. Really, we don't really know him too well, actually. I guess despite all of this, <laughs> he does throw a lot of punches. Um, uh, yeah. So we know him. But as we a missed. Hothead. We missed. We missed one of the punches. Um, in the when he's like asking Maria out, uh, I think it was the drummer from his band is like saying some his racist name's stuff. Jesse, his made up name is Jesse. Okay, Jesse. so that was yeah, Jesse. Jesse. I thought it was Joe, but whatever, it doesn't matter. But um, Ray Bob, <laughs> Ray Bob is the fake bass player. Jesse I don't care what the their names drummer. are, but so um, Jesse's the guy who looks like the big guy from Mr. Show. Yes, yes, got it. Yeah, but um, there's a punch there. I just want to make sure we account for all of the. The punch is thrown. Right, but, um, this is punch number two. This is punch number two. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesse makes some sort of like vulgar off color comment, but realistically, for like the 50s and like three guys from Texas, it seems like not that bad. And Buddy's like, what? And fucking lay, uh, and hits him with his fist. Then we have um, Ray Bob, fictional. I don't know player. why you're harping on their names. <laughs> I, do like, I do like the name Ray Bob. <laughs> Like it's it's because I, I can't remember the name of the actor who plays Ray oh, Bob, but I know no, Charles Martin Smith. Thank you. Do you want to say Charles Nelson Riley? Charles oh. Martin Smith. Yeah, three named Charles is. Sorry. Charles Martin Smith is. Uh, so his character is paired with Jesse's. So they have the same conflict, but we just have to have Jesse to spark it first. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, Jesse's like a little more of a problem. Yeah, he's he's definitely the wild card. He, he's he's the one who like is drinking first more. Yes. We see so, him drinking and, first. And Ray Bob's like, no, I'll have a Dr. Pepper. Uh, but then a movie. he starts drinking more. Good point. Good point. I mean, there is that initial yeah. scene with the record execs where they're like, what do you want to drink? And he says champagne. Oh, champagne. The other two say soda. Okay. You know what, though? That said, okay. I, I feel like considering the central fucking relationship of this movie is Buddy Holly with his two fake fucking bandmates, I feel like maybe we could have introduced a kernel of conflict a little bit before, like, oh, you know, yeah. five, ten move to five, ten minutes before <laughs> they quit the band because they, like, want to go home for the holidays or something. So right. eventually, Buddy joins Eddie Cochran on stage, who is not played by Brian Setzer in this movie. Yeah. Unfortunately. Therefore, Unfortunately. he's like a short little guy. Um, he, here's a here's a serious goof um, <laughs> about this scene. Is that Eddie is playing a Gretsch country rock 7620 solid body. Oh, Eddie which, Cochran? Which yeah, right. Which didn't release until the early 70s. And he and he clearly he played a hollow body, a big old hollow body, and and to top it off, the bass player is playing a Telecaster bass, which Fender didn't release until '68. Come I mean, on, we're just supposed to My watch gosh. this movie. We're supposed to like watch it's, it like it's the Buddy Holly story. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm. I, I'm gonna forget. I'm gonna forget to say this that we haven't said it yet, but that this movie has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. 
I feel like all old movies do. Like before like Rotten Tomatoes was invented, you have a serious like upper hand. Pauline Kale probably gave this Rotten two Tomatoes. stars and it's just not fucking archived. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. Okay. Gene Shalit probably was like in a star making performance. I mean, it's definitely the Roger e- Roger Ebert um review who you know can be brutal he liked it i just feel like this was so early in like the rock biopic genre that like people didn't know how to this is also the kind of trash that ebert loves and it's also but people didn't know that much about buddy holly's life it wasn't like oh they misrepresented him it's like they're not gonna know that you know that telecaster was built in 1973 (laughs) right right all right so but so Yes, that, that that's good, but I mean, at the same time, I could have at least fucking faked towards verisimilitude. With what? The the movie? The equipment or the life events? Oh, um, the characters, the life events. Oh, sure, I, sure, sure. I could give a shit about the, you know, the guitars, really, if yeah. it didn't seem like a weird made-up story about this thinly sketched uh, producer, I guess. Um my favorite IMDb goof is coming up, but it's we're not there yet. But um, so so yeah, like we were saying, uh, the conflict with the band is kind of being set up. There's this gig with Eddie Cochran, and Buddy is invited out onto the stage to play with Eddie, but his two bandmates are not, and that is sowing the discord. Yes, and this what? is where the dr- the drummer has the problem first. Yes, he Always. walks away. Jesse, yeah. sorry, Jesse has a problem. <laughs> Thank you. Please be respectful. Yeah. And uh, again, it like yeah, I kind of fucking get it. It's like, was he supposed to stand around and be super psyched? Like, let the guy go take a shower or something. <laughs> yeah. In, instead, it's like everything was all well and good till Buddy went out, and played with Eddie Cochran. Yeah. Um. And I mean, very soon after that, there's this scene for some reason that's set in a what kind of car is it? I don't even know. Cadillac. What car? The yeah, when I, it, I use. I imagine it was a Cadillac. Oh yeah, Buddy yeah. Is, the dealership. Yeah. Yes, Buddy is like thinking about buying a very expensive car because you know they have money now, and so the three bandmates are just sitting in he's this pretty, car. He's pretty insensitive to his bandmates. Feelings. And this is kind of where the big dramatic conversation happens, where he's like, "Well, we're gonna move to New York, right?" And the bandmates are like, "No, we're not. We don't want to move to New York. Like, we want to go back." And Buddy's kind of like, "No, this is my life." And so they're like, "Okay, we'll do one more gig with you." And again, all of this sounds completely made up, also. I mean, yeah, sure. This is, but this, this is the kind of scene where it's like, yeah, I'll, I don't need to verify that you were all sitting in a car together at <laughs> the Cadillac dealership. I mean, that's normal band drama. You're sitting at the car dealership, <laughs> Cadillac. <laughs> Stuff comes How up. many Cadillacs have we all slammed the doors of? Oh my god, they were count. rich at that point. Um, lost count. I yeah, it's fine. Okay, if you're rich, you bring your fucking poor ass friends to the Cadillac dealership. How, how are they? How do you want them to respond? Be like, "Sick, Ryan, definitely buy that Cadillac. That's cool as hell." <laughs> but that's not what they were mad at. They were just like, "We don't want to move to New York. We don't. This isn't our lives." Um, yeah, but again, they're fictional characters, and we don't really know anything about them personally. So it's hard to be like, "Oh man, that's tough." Right. Yeah. Buddy's livelihood is here. Buddy's wife is here. Buddy's made-up boss is here. 
Are they, are they married yet at this point or no? I think so. I forget. Um, yeah. Oh, again, because we don't want to have any dramatic scenes anywhere that isn't a cheap set or anywhere that involves more than like five or six actors, we're not going to see the wedding or anything. We're going to go back to the soundstage that is their apartment. Mm -hmm. uh, conveniently, the bed is in the living room because there is no bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. Um, I didn't think about that, but yeah. There, there, totally there right. also there is a goof from their apartment as well. Uh oh, what's and that? This, this is Give a me big goof. This is a huge one. <laughs> Brace yourselves. The coffee pot in the Holly apartment <laughs> leaps from the kitchen counter to the dining table between shots. How do you explain that? <laughs> yeah. Continuity. I bet that was the continuity section. I am trying to watch a scene in which Buddy Holly's fake made up label head is trying to pursue persuade him to go back on the road. And there's a coffee pot jumping around. Just jumping around? Not on my watch. How, how am I Do supposed to pay attention? Yeah. Oh, so this also leads to another one of my favorite scenes where uh, one of the, again, studio scene, we're back at the studio set, uh, okay. where the string, the string oh. players come in oh, yeah. and uh, <laughs> Buddy like hands him these charts. He's like, like, I need violins in my rock and roll song. Here are the charts. And they're like, violins on a rock and roll song? We'll never figure this out. And I don't know this for sure, but if Buddy Holly knew how to read music, he didn't write he didn't. charts. He did okay. not. Good. I was about to offer to eat my hat, and I need that hat. <laughs> well, no, you were correct. Uh, yeah, he someone compares him to Beethoven because if you're yeah. writing a script about musicians and you know nothing about classical music, <laughs> Beethoven's a pretty good. Uh, it's like, hey, they, you know, Beethoven did that. Oh, Beethoven did that? You're Shit. pretty good, kid. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Strings on a rock and roll song. Oh, man. So this scene is, like, clearly supposed to, like, illustrate his, like, musical, like, evolution. Like, he's involving strings in his songs now. Um, yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, we kind of already talked about the last gig with the Cricket. So, like, the deal that he made with the guys when he they were, like, we're not moving to New York. is like, play one more you know, one more gig with me. So that was the Ed Sullivan show. Um, and they show up very drunk. They miss sound check. Um, the oh, two crickets, yeah. but he is not happy. Again, we already kind of talked about all this, but um, there's a, a punch, punch number three. It's I don't, really still movie. don't know how the teeth came out. Was that in the punch or was it just like a weird collision? Um, no, I thought he was like, he like, bent down to get something, or it was like one of those things maybe? Yeah. The way I watched it, what I saw happen was Jesse punches bit Buddy in the mouth because he's angry. And but then Buddy like hits his face on his head or something. Oh, I didn't figure that out. I thought yeah, that I thought was it was just a fist, and then his teeth were just out and he wasn't in any pain, and there was no blood. That's good because they were the caps, he said. Okay. He's like, he's like, don't worry. It's like, it's just the, yeah. Abs like, crown. I didn't hear that. I did not hear. That. I, <laughs> I believe you. I I'm believe. Glad. I'm glad because I like literally blinked and missed. I I thought I was just watching some like '70s like action movie where they just cut away before anybody's fist touches somebody's face. No, yeah, that then he puts the gum, disgusting gum. And again, 
a weird choice on the producer's part right. to be like, check out Gary Busey's teeth. <laughs> Think about them more. Think about them more. Yeah. All right. So now the crickets are on vacation or sabbatical or something. Yeah. Indefinite sabbatical. Oh, um, we find out Maria's pregnant again through a tossed off line midway through a scene. Very cool. Oh, wait. I think this is when my, one of my favorite IMDb goofs is happening. Maybe. Maybe. Um, oh. Okay. I think it was like, it's like the last scene in their apartment. <laughs> before he's like gonna go on tour and these two little boys from a neighboring apartment. Yeah, it's like, I don't even know what this is yeah. trying to illustrate. But uh, these two little boys come in, they're like, oh, like our guitar broke and Buddy is fixing it for them and kind of like plays a song for them. And they just, you know, typical children actors, like they're like, the clearly, camera loves them. Clearly, though, for took the direction. Reason. It was like, act like you're really into this, and they like can't really even like <laughs> maintain focus on this. In the thing. editing room, they're like, these kids are amazing. Yeah, <laughs> but here's another IMDb, IMDb goo for you. When Buddy plays his acoustic guitar for the two neighbor boys, it is in concert pitch. A moment after they leave, he picks up the guitar again. When he strums it this time, it is tuned a semitone below concert pitch. Shameful. Shameful. You know, it's funny. I did notice something <laughs> was weird. I didn't. I didn't know that that's exactly what happened. But I was like, it, like something. I was like, whoa. I, I I thought a lot was weird. I I just made a note. It just says weird scene with kids question mark i love that you heard that though i mean because the real musicians in the crowd something's are. fishy here yeah so around this time also we are introduced with the late in film conflict this is the new one this is the oh. new one buddy you should go on tour oh yes but he doesn't really want to for some reason you know he just got married. Pregnant. He's chilling. He's like, I can go back to the studio. I'm a, I'm a producer. Just want to yeah. record. He's not like afraid of flying or anything. Or has a special <laughs> necklace or anything. Yeah. No, nothing nothing that would actually increase the dramatic tension. Uh, listeners, nothing, this nothing... is a callback to our episode about La Bamba, episode one of Rock and Roll Film Club. It's You can find it on iTunes. In all the places you can listen to podcasts. Yeah, check it out. So, th th so this is actually what leads us to the Winter Dance Party tour. And we see them on the road. And we are treated to uh, another, yet another big bopper performance scene. Oh, yet yeah. again. I got to say, like, I understand the tragedy of the plane crash. But, like, <laughs> good God, would we be talking about the big bopper in 2020? under any other circumstances. Yeah. It's like a fake telephone conversation punctuated with, oh baby, that's what I like. <laughs> Just this like novelty song. And meanwhile, no Richie Valens. No fucking music Richie. whatsoever. Oh, the only they, time they, we they see have them come out at the end with to maracas. shake some maracas, yeah. Yeah, like a weird and like it's all off time and weird. Yeah, also. Yeah, yeah so in this case they're like, all right, well, well here's Here's Buddy all fucking bummed out that he has to be on tour without the crickets. Oh, here's him enjoying playing with like some square ass adult contemporary with a huge orchestra. Yeah. Followed by a medley of his hits with a tight band. Okay, let's it's let's like, like let's back up a little bit. So yeah, so this is the, the last show. We're in Clear Lake, Iowa. Which <laughs> oh, Sir the Ballroom. closing captions 
referred to Clear Lake, one word, Iowa. The city is Clear Lake, two words, as seen at the city's official website, clearlakeiowa.com. Okay. Yeah, not a lot of fact checking going on in this movie. <laughs> also, they called it the um, Clear Lake Auditorium. We all know it was the surf ballroom. Oh my God. Come on. Everybody knows that. Get with Everyone. Come on. Come on. So, um, yeah, so again, Buddy Holly is obviously on tour with the Big Bopper and Richie Valens. They don't really explain that again. We just like are seeing the Big Popper perform, and Buddy calls Maria from backstage. And this is where La Bamba starts to kind of be parallel because in the La Bamba universe, Richie's also on the phone backstage during the Big Bopper's performance. So just <laughs> who's on the phone when? <laughs> Everyone's on the phone backstage. I want to see the phone records. Yeah. yeah. And who's paying for the long distance back? <laughs> Ma Bell? I don't think so. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then like Ryan was saying, we see Buddy's final performance. And this is like fully fictional fully. but he is backed with this full orchestra it's like almost offensive it's just like we don't know that this is the direction he would have gone with it with his music at all he had waylon jennings with him in real life but not yeah this well who was yeah not famous at the time you know this like small touring band not like a full-on string section um yeah it, it's but, like here here listen to the squarest ass music we've we've played this entire movie Oh, right. After funny. defending rock and roll, I like literally in my notes, I was like, this is where the like rock and roll is controversial plot line just falls yeah, apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we have totally forgotten that that was a thing that we were talking about. Also, it, it ends like one of those like 70s kung fu movies too, where there's no denouement. There's barely even a, there's no climax in this movie actually. Yes. It, it is just like, boom, now it's over. By the way, he's dead. Yeah, so it stops literally freeze frame at the end of his performance. And then we get the um, postscript over, you know, Gary Buse's frozen face. But and all it says is Buddy Holly died later that night with JP, the big bopper Richardson, and Richie Valens in the crash of a private airplane just outside of Clear Lake. Oh, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and the rest is rock and roll. Okay, all right. So at, at this point in the movie, I think to myself, and this was the one thing I looked up, and this is when I stopped looking things up afterwards. I'm like, this is really tragic, but at least Buddy's wife was pregnant and was going to carry on his, you know, genetic line. Uh huh. No deal. That was fake? No, well, no, she got pregnant, but. Uh, she had a miscarriage, supposedly upon the trauma of hearing about her husband dying on through the news. And since then, now the families of the victims are contacted before oh. them. Oh, that's right. I feel like I did know that. But wait, but we were, hold on, we were still talking about that final scene, but then we skipped to the post. There is no script. final scene. No, no, but that, I guess the whole point is that that, because it's like gussied up and it's this whole thing with strings it's like the surreal-ish performance yeah. it's supposed to be this like final and it goes on for a while it's like multiple songs yeah they do a medley of his hits yeah it's like this yeah. long thing and it feels a little different than a lot of the rest of the movie i that's think that's a good it, point i didn't thought I about think it, it feels way. different but i don't think it necessarily 
serves anything on like no, I'm not a saying that it plot level. I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it did a good job of it. I'm saying that's the point of it is that yeah. it's supposed to be this big finale. Wow, you're but right. you don't know that it's happening, and that's that's a part of the problem. Okay, and, let, let's say you don't know anything about Buddy Holly, and you're like, "Whoa, this guy's finally making the music he wants to make." <laughs> he throws punches. <laughs> throws punches, gets strings. That's, yeah, that's all he wants. Music, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, there is a goof from this um, from oh, this no. scene. Yes. From IMDb. Here we go. In the final concert scene, a number of men in the front row of the audience have full, longish hair, typical <laughs> of the late 70s, rather than short cuts they would have worn during the period the film is set. Complete and utter bullshit. I can't believe we watched this movie all the way to that scene. After seeing those 1970s telecasters. Yeah, and then long hair? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Turning this off. I don't care if there's only one minute left. First, the other extras from earlier, and then these extras. They had a lot of extra problems. They really did. Um, oh, boy. Oh, yeah. boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. To quote Buddy Holly. So, but I, I did think it was interesting that, like, I mean, La Bamba, like, the plane is, like, the whole, like, he has, like, visions and nightmares about planes the whole movie and so it's like them getting on the plane is like this whole big deal so yeah if you make a movie you want foreshadowing right but like the fact that they didn't even that that was just the end they didn't even address it it was just that he he didn't want to go on tour it was the only remotely foreshadowing yeah yeah Yeah. it's really like it's like the pilot episode for the Buddy Holly TV series. It's so episodic. Which I would love. Con- yeah, yeah, I would love that. I mean, actually, and I do kind of get it because visually the movie does look like fucking happy days pretty much from start yeah. to finish, both in terms of like production value, but set design and costumes, it, you know. Same era. It was the 1950s, by the way, of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. I um I like to publicly state that I love 1970s, 1980s, 50s nostalgia. Yes. What are some uh, examples of of Sha-na-na, media maybe? that you love? Yeah, all that. This um, American Graffiti, Happy Days, um, Back Greece. to the Future counts. Mm-hmm. Back to the Future counts. Um, Grease, yeah, Grease, uh, Muppet Babies. You know, at least in their like theme song. There was some of that going on. Mm-hmm. And I think there was just a general nostalgia for that time in that time. Yeah. And based on this movie and numerous other examples you just cited, the 1970s view of the 1950s was trying to get laid and maybe not succeeding. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, some some might have succeeded. Like the core of it, I don't know. <laughs> Kathleen, you're like, oh, there's more. There's <laughs> well, rock and roll like and fast cars. I feel like it's like portrayed as this like innocent time always. Right. And- you know, it was dogged on it. <laughs> but also, people were the right age at that point to be looking back that amount. I get it, okay? Right. But it's like the having, right age every year to be looking back at it like. Well, that. it's like the '90s nostalgia now. It's always like a 20 year. Exactly. Thing. Exactly. Okay. Um, which which '90s set movies are they making now that where people are trying to get laid in the '90s? Uh, Lady Bird. Oh, I didn't <laughs> see that. Yeah, 
true. All the music that just wants to sound like it's from the 90s. Well, the fashion. I guess we fashion. could get into. Oh, okay. I don't need to go. I don't need to go into uh, you know what small sunglasses represent right now, <laughs> other than a sartorial mistake. What What about yeah. um, Roger McGuinn? What about Roger what? McGuinn? Yes. Tiny sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, they look bad. But you know what? They people stop. Bad. People don't talk about Roger McGuinn. People don't know who Roger McGuinn is. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I mean, listeners, please talk to sound a young off. person. Let us know. I mean, I want you, know you to talk McGuinn to a is. young person, find out <laughs> who Roger McGuinn is. <laughs> um, all right, guys. All right. What, all right. I'm going what out. are we thinking? Any. Any final thoughts? I'm just looking through my, my notes here. What do you mean final thoughts? We're already there? <laughs> yeah. Buddy's dead. There was no climax. I had more goofs. Oh, tell us. Oh, yeah. This was this one was about the final show, actually. Yeah. Um, Ryan's favorite scene. Right? Uh... <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> well, well, the... <laughs> In the in that scene, you um, you saw Holly telling the monitor engineer to turn his monitor up. Yeah. His stage yeah. monitor, yeah. which stage monitors were not used until the late '60s at the earliest. Okay. And also, Holly never jumped around like that and didn't <laughs> scream up his vocal. Wait, so that one was in the same goof? They were like, and also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. um there's there. I do have one more goof that I wanted to mention earlier and I didn't. And you can cut this out, but I want to tell you guys because whatever. Please share. Um, in the roller rink scene, numerous pinball machines featuring rotary score wheels oh, can be seen in the background. Man, they did that. <laughs> they were not score wheels were not used <laughs> until the sixties. Amateur hour. Yeah. You just have to keep your own score in pinball. <laughs> No, no, they had they had score things, but they were kept by lit numbers uh, on the back glass, backlit glass numbers. Not the rotary numbers score. are actually pretty sweet, and yeah. pinball machines made in that era tend to be a lot easier to play. All I have to say is, um, how dare they? How how dare, dare they? they? I did just buy a pinball machine on Animal Crossing. <laughs> wow. That's like a, that was a very well uh, constructed like com comedy sentence. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, where are you gonna put it? <laughs> On my island, but I don't know where yet. I have an outdoor arcade. <laughs> what else do you have in it? The Buddy Holly um, arcade game. <laughs> I have a whole studio. Yeah, fly it's cool. the plane to make sure it doesn't end. <laughs> If throw the big whopper out to uh, maintain <laughs> fucking elevation. We gotta pick altitude. one. Yeah. Not cool, man. Not cool. The dodos fly the planes, okay? I don't know. My only final thought, really, I will say about the Buddy Holly story is that uh, there should have been more true events from Buddy Holly's life, more real characters played by actors, and um, maybe some sort of insight into who Buddy was, other than uh, somebody ambitious enough to alienate his friends and coworkers. Yeah, yeah. I will say, like we've been saying this whole time, 
total lack of character development. It places very like episodic with the conflicts, but I do think this movie probably set the template for like future rock biopics where it's like, we can address the fact that rock and roll is controversial. We can address that people don't in your family and much in the way friends that the music don't of want you to be Buddy Holly laid the, the foundation for rock music itself. Perfect parallel. Um, Beautiful. That's true. Yeah. 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 And like the 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 fractured band where people have different classic. How like substance use gets in the way, how um, just like different motivations get in the way. I don't know. So it's a lot of these these like tropes that we see in later um, later movies. Um, one last factoid I wanted to throw in, and I mean, I would love to hear what you think about this as a Beatles uh, uh, aficionado. Um, uh, so you must have seen that Paul McCartney holds the rights to his published songs. And I don't know if this is apocryphal, but I saw that Paul McCartney used to hold an annual Buddy Holly birthday party and screen this film. Oh, wow. But then I later saw that he also called the bullshit in this movie. So I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Or he made a documentary or something about Buddy Holly. Oh, the real Buddy Holly. The real Buddy Holly to sort of address the errors. The real Buddy Holly. Yeah. Paul does own the uh, rights to Buddy Holly songs. Okay. It's time for the substance abuse report. Oh, let's go. Can't be very long. In this movie, people drank alcohol. Maybe <laughs> someone had a cigarette at some point. They might have. Um, yeah. It's possible. It's possible, but I cannot recall a specific They weren't cigarette. smoking cigarettes like they were in Backbeat or anything. No, no, no. Oh, man. By the way, how can I get a copy of Backbeat? It's um, not easy. It's not easy. <laughs> We can take this offline if we need to. Yeah, yeah. We'll tell you when we're not recording. But, but if you could hook me up, because I haven't seen that since I was a kid. And I was so, first loved the episode, first of all. And I didn't know when I was a kid who played that soundtrack. I just knew that it was like more amped up. <laughs> that was up. the best part of that fucking movie. Yeah, it was sick. And I, and I was like, I remember it was like kind of amped up and I knew that. But now I'm like, what the hell? Those guys? Like, that is so, that blew my mind. The 90s super group. Dream team. And then that, like, there was some, like, you watched that, like, live, there was some live thing they did, right? Yeah. And it sounded like shit. It, like, didn't sound anything like the recordings, really. <laughs> but it was also really cool at the same time. It was time. cool, that, though. It was awesome that they did it. Yeah. But it's just funny that they played on the recordings for the soundtrack. Which are cool, but like then the live version is like super nineties. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Oh, you know, you know what else we need to? I mean, we've uh, since your last appearance, we've uh, now started oh. ranking movies on a score of zero to four. La Bamba's four La Bamba's being the highest. Four? Why four, not five? Look, man. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool. It's your own system. <laughs> Look, man. Are, uh, are, are half La Bambas allowed? Or that no? would be acceptable. Yes. Once we start getting a quarter La Bambas, though, you're out. Okay. Um, all right. What did I give Backbeat? I feel like I gave Backbeat to La Bambas. Uh, yes, we both did. Okay. So just because I like <laughs> Backbeat more than this movie, I feel obligated to score the slower. <laughs> I'm giving the Buddy, sto the Buddy Holly story 
one and a half Labambas. <laughs> wow. I know it sounds wow. savage, but uh, it's just so shitty on a story level. <laughs> Yet the acting, his acting is pretty good, I gotta say. Busey's great. Yeah. Busey's great. He's great. And this is a career defining role, as you said, nominated for. Oscar. Yeah, it sucks that the peak of Gary Busey's career was in 1978, and it's just been a long fucking slow decline since then. Yeah. Well, TBI. Oh, you think? TBI, TBI. Yeah, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go with two Labambas because I also think I liked it, enjoyed it overall more than um, Backbeat, but... Again, I do think it's important that this is like laying the groundwork for future rock and roll biopics, to, despite all of its flaws. We would have a podcast if it weren't for the Buddy Holly story. Yes. That's right. That's right. We would be nothing. Or COVID-19. Uh, <laughs> another important factor. You have to take it there. Um, and two, like you were saying, I mean, I do think Gary Busey's performance, despite looking so insane, the whole movie, it's... It, it is very good. And just the fact that he is playing all of those songs and singing all those songs um, in a way that honors the music. Two, two La Bambas for me. I mean, I, um, this is hard guys, but you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to go ahead and give the Buddy Holly story three and a half La Bambas. Wow. wow. How many La Bambas would you give La Bamba? Four. Yeah, okay. I give it four too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the scale. All right. Um, maybe three Labambas. I was being generous. That's okay, you love rock and roll. I love rock and roll. Buddy Holly is very important to me, to everyone. And and like you said, Backbeat wouldn't exist without Buddy Holly's story. Yeah, the and that Beatles movie's not that good either. Buddy Holly. <laughs> no. So... We owe a lot to the man. Um, it's always bothered me that he's playing a Telecaster through the, the entire movie. And then plays a Stratocaster Just at the, the end, end. Which does have the incorrect big headstock. Yeah. But still, at least he's playing a Stratocaster. They couldn't have gotten that earlier. I mean, what is this? You know what I mean? Three and a half La Bambas. So, so for that reason, you know what? We're going to give it three La Bambas. I'm uh, taking that half away. All right. So one thing I, I do just want to float real quick is what would Buddy Holly's legacy be if he didn't die in 1959? So tricky. It's a tough one. So very Because young. I 100% understand how important his music was to music of the early 60s. But would we have gotten but, there? I don't know. Would he have gotten shitty? I don't know. We don't know. Everyone gets shitty. Yeah. So Buddy Buddy Holly's legacy is part and parcel with tragedy. That's just that's part of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, people have said like, oh, he would have become more of a producer, and the whole thing of like him like incorporating strings and stuff. And I always thought that was true that that's where he wanted to go, but then I heard that he was actually opposed to that originally. <laughs> Yeah, I, I read that too. Oh, it would have been nice if we heard about that in the movie or something. <laughs> so I don't know, but, it, but you know, he did. That would have been an interesting make... story. I don't know. He, he did make some beautiful, um, more lush recordings in his later 
quote-unquote career, right? Maybe yeah. Baby is also just one of my favorite songs. And, oh, yeah. and I also loved that there was like a scene we didn't really talk about where he's recording words of love and and really wants to overdub himself and do his own harmonies. And that was that was cool. I was like, that's right. That is like such a modern sounding song. Like it could be like any, not any indie band today, but <laughs> I would like it if it came out today and like kind of innovating that technique. I don't know. Pretty cool. Well, the Bag of Orbels and Buddy Alice songs are very bad though. Yes. Um, I did read something that um, it wasn't actually the band who sang a lot of. Yeah, them. it sounds like it crows. Like, yeah, it was hired crows, bah, and bah, which is maybe. Bah. Oh boy. <laughs> um, you know why you don't like it? Because they're like too too good. Clean cut, too good. Yeah. Okay, guys, I have one last question and then we're gonna wrap this up. This is really this is more of an a mean question that he really brought this to our attention when we watched La Bamba that we really got thinking about this character, Bob in La Bamba, who's Richie's brother, who is a true um He's real cowboy. He's real yeah, true archetype of just insanity and male anger and yet you you kind of feel bad for him. Um, yeah. So Amin asked us who the Bob was of this movie, um, and it's clearly the two crickets whose names I've already forgotten, Jesse and Jesse and Ray Bob. Bob. But it doesn't matter Ray because Bob. they are completely fictional characters. Yes. But I don't think either of them live up to None the, of them. the fire of no. Bob. No Bob. No. No Bob here. Bob is a character. But... No, Bob is a. Yeah, no, no, Bob is a fully realized character. Bob oh, has an inner conflict. Bob has hopes and desires and dreams. Ray Bob and Jesse are plot contrivances entirely yeah. hinged on uh, Buddy's, you know, work ethic or talent or something. Right, but if I had to pick one, <laughs> if I would have to pick Jesse the drummer, <laughs> Because of his uh, slight, slightly more unhingedness. Yes. Um, he is a bit of a drinker. Yeah, likes porno mags, wears sunglasses inside. No, guys, it's definitely the bass player. I thought about this longer. It's definitely the bass player who reads the um, the porno books. There's like, so listeners. Okay, I'm are, sorry, Kathleen. The porno book scene didn't. You didn't make quite the impression on me that it made on you. Or well, because he says something nuts where there's like a scene where the band is, I don't know if they're on tour or, or what, but they're in a hotel room. And I think it's when they're in New York, but the bass player is like reading some dirty book and he's like, oh man, in this book, the woodshop teacher is doing it with a 16 year old. It's just like, oh, God, that's what you're doing. Why, uh, why do they even that wasn't That wasn't know. in the cut I watched. I watched it on Google Play. I watched the my... PG cut. Okay, so it was in the Google Play cut. Maybe that's why we all don't remember the dirty books um, equally. But <laughs> um, so I don't know. But I will still say that the drummer is more like Bob. Jesse is the Bob. Ray Bob is not the Bob. That's my take. I'm yeah, to it. that's my that's my take too. Great. Great. Um, but if you're yeah. if you're listeners, if you're trying to decide what you're going to watch tonight, La Bamba or the Buddy Holly story, please watch La Bamba. But this is a 
this movie is worth watching as well. After you watch La Bamba, you're probably going to want to watch The Buddy Holly Story. Perhaps, yes. I think so. <laughs> I think so. That's what happened to me. And it was disappointing. Yeah. And I've seen this movie. But it's, you know, still, though, still great. And I guess I liked it more than you guys. But We've you been know, watching okay. a lot more rock and roll movies than you, I mean. It's true. And also, like, my memory of it was that it was worse than when I rewatched it. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, I remember it being worse than I actually thought it was now. <laughs> so that was kind of like a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I'm a I'm pro Buddy Holly story, although I do think it should not, that should not have been the title. What would you have called it? I think that, um, Buddy. <laughs> That's better. That's better, yeah. Too close to Air Bud. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Where like, do you, you think know, that the idea funny. came from? Yeah, that is funny. Um, that is funny. Well, I mean, thank you so much for thank joining you, us. Thank you. Before we, oh. um, or as we're wrapping up, anything you want to like plug or anything you're up to? If, um, yes, for your listeners, um, if you're going to make, let's say, some sort of salmon or something and uh, like a vegetable, like an asparagus, um, really, you know, plan ahead and try not to do both at once because the vegetables are really going to suffer. I mean, that was a great plug. Thank you thank so much you. Uh, for that. And thank you so much for joining us yet again. Come back anytime. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We'll see you in 10 or 11 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're Rock and Roll Film Club. Bye. Good night.